0: Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in John chapter 7. I'm going to cover verses 11 through 29. We have Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles right before, or right at the beginning of his, the last part of his Judician, Judean ministry. He ministers down there for several months before he's crucified and killed. In the previous audio, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 7, we talked about how Jesus' his unbelieving brothers tried to talk him to go down to Jerusalem, proclaim himself as the Messiah openly. Jesus refused to do that. He went secretly after the, when the feast was halfway over. He waited all the pilgrims had gone down there to avoid all those crowds. He didn't want them to prematurely proclaim him as the Messiah. And he secretly went down to the Passover feast and shows up halfway through the feast. He didn't want the Jews to arrest him. He didn't want the Jews to have to point to him and say, see there, you're starting a political revelation, the Romans, revolution, the Romans are going to come after us, going to stomp us out. He didn't want all that. So that's why he went down secretly. He didn't pay attention to his brothers who didn't understand what Jesus was about. So we get down to Jerusalem and we pick it up, pick the story up in chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of discussion about him among the crowds. First of all, the Jews, that's the leaders. The crowds is the pilgrim crowds that had come down to Jerusalem. They are distinct. When we say the Jews, we're not really talking about the crowds, although it can sound like that. So the Jews were looking for him at the festival. Why were they looking for him? They wanted to kill him. He'd already gone down there previously, about a year and a half earlier, and healed the invalid at the Pool of Bethesda and identified himself thoroughly with the father, and the Pharisees didn't like it. So they were trying to get him. And of course, he had, Jesus had made a name for himself in Galilee, too. So he, Jesus was famous, although the Jews couldn't find it. The Jewish leaders couldn't find him in the crowd. Of course, he wasn't there for the first four days. So they're saying, Where is he? And meanwhile, the people that are down there, they're talking. Everybody's talking about Jesus. He stirred the country up. There was discussion. The King James has murmuring, the NIV has whispering. So it was a certain kind of a discussion. It was a sub-rosa discussion. It was under the table. Under the covers, if you will. Verse 19 says nobody was talking publicly about him because they feared the Jews, the Jewish leaders. They were scared that the Jewish leaders might think that Jesus is not the Messiah. And if the people started saying Jesus was the Messiah, the Jewish leaders might get mad and arrest them. So they were being very quiet. Now there was a split of opinion about Jesus. Some were saying he's a good man. Others saying he's deceiving the people. Well, the people who thought he was a good man were probably those who knew Jesus personally. Or had heard his teaching personally. The people who were saying he's deceiving the people, i.e. by telling them to abandon Moses and the rabbinic traditions that followed on Moses by the created by the Pharisees. Or he, uh, they might think he's deceiving the people by claiming to be a false messiah. Either way, those were the people who probably got their information about Jesus from the Jewish leaders. So Jesus still had a PR problem. Fake news from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers of the Sanhedrin. We go now to verses 14 and 15. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple complex and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, How does he know the scriptures, since he hasn't been trained? So these Jews spoke like true academic pinheads. He hasn't been trained down here in Jerusalem with all the official Jewish teachers and all the rabbinic authorities of which we are <laughs> he hasn't been trained by us in other words he's up there in galilee where there are no great schools but they recognize that jesus did know the scriptures because jesus knew the scriptures every jot and tittle backwards and forwards so jesus's miracles amazed people but also his teaching of the scriptures amazed and notice i'm going to talk about this in a minute when jesus taught It was not just that he knew the facts about the scriptures. He knew the inner meaning, the inner dynamic of the scriptures, who the scriptures pointed to. He knew that the scriptures reveal the very nature and character of God the Father. The Pharisees, they could tell you that you're not supposed to wash a cup or something, you know, you're not supposed to eat shrimp. Their understanding of the scriptures was at a very, very low level. Now, the feast was half over. It was an eight-day feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish traditional law said that Jesus should have been down there on the first day, according to Adam Clark. But Jesus didn't care about the rabbinic law, the traditions of the elders that had been added to the true law of Moses. So he just probably went and he did what he wanted to do. He didn't care what the Jewish leader said. He wanted to keep them off guard, show up unexpectedly. Well, there he is. Here's how John Gill describes Jesus' teaching. It was such as never man spake. His words were so gracious and there was such truth and evidence in them and they were delivered with such power and authority here's how adam clark puts it no person ever spoke with more grace and dignity or knew better how to make a more proper use or a happier application of jewish allegories and parables because none ever penetrated the sense of the scriptures as he did notice that the pharisees and jesus they had a common ground despite the of the of the fact of their complete mutual opposition, almost complete mutual opposition, they believed the scriptures. They believed them in a different sense, and Jesus had a deeper understanding of the scriptures, but they both took the scriptures as their authority. John 7, verses 16 through 18, Jesus answered them, answered the Jewish leaders, My teaching isn't mine, but it's from the one who sent me. The one who sent him, of course, is the Father. If anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God, or if I am speaking on my own, on my own. The one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. But he, he's, but Jesus is referring to himself in the third person, but he, Jesus, who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, the one who sent him is the Father. So Jesus is seeking the glory of the Father, and he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now what Jesus is doing here, he's answering the question about the fact that he wasn't trained. How could you know the scripture since you wasn't trained? Jesus answered them, my teaching isn't mine, but from the one who sent me. In other words, God the Father is my rabbi. That's who trained me. That's Yahweh, the creator of the universe. You worried about who's taught me? Well, I'll tell you who taught me. God the Father. Incredible claims by this man. You know he must have driven the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders absolutely nuts by saying stuff like this. First 17 is one of my favorite verses as a former skeptical nerd. If anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God or if I'm speaking on my own. That's how you know whether Jesus' teaching is true. You've got to want to do the Father's will. If you want to do the Father's will, the Bible, Jesus will explain the Bible to you and you'll understand. And you won't have skepticism anymore about prophecies and miracles and all the stuff that's in the Bible about heaven and hell and and all the supernatural stuff in the Bible, if you want to do the Father's will. But if you don't want to do the Father's will, if you want to do your will, that Bible is going to be opaque to you as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's nonsense. You're just not going to understand what in the world is being said. As Augustine put it, the famous Augustine, this is quoted in the NIV Study Bible, understanding is the reward of faith. You believe first, you understand second. Faith seeking understanding. Faith seeking understanding. You believe first, the understanding comes next. And of course, these Jewish leaders did not want to do the will of the Father, and that's why they couldn't understand where Jesus' teaching was come from and where Jesus came from. They couldn't understand if the teaching was from God or if he was speaking on his own because they didn't want to do the will of the Father. If they had wanted to do the will of the Father, they would have understood perfectly who Jesus was. Rabbi was, God the Father. And then Jesus points out that he's not seeking his own glory. Now, he's making what could be characterized as bombastic claims. I'm speaking from God the Father. I'm a big-shot rabbi. I, I, my my rabbis are much bigger than your pathetic little rabbinic teachers. But he immediately asserts his humility. He says in verse 18, the one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory. In other words, I'm not speaking down here just to prove myself to be a big fancy rabbi Jesus says I'm not seeking my own glory but he Jesus who seeks the glory of the one who sent him in other words I Jesus am seeking the glory of the, of the father who sent me but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true in other words the one who seeks God's the father's glory that one is true he's real and what he's, and so what Jesus is saying is guys I'm real I'm the way I'm the truth I'm the life I'm real and there is no unrighteousness in him so why are you trying to kill me You know, you don't kill righteous people. That true there, where Jesus describes himself as true in verse 18, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. The The NIV translates that as is a man of truth, which is a little clearer. The one who seeks the Father is a man of truth. And that's what Jesus was. Now, John calls in this passage that we just read here, John 7, 18 that Jesus is true. He says that Jesus is true, quoting Jesus, where Jesus claims for himself that he's true. John in other, in two other places in the book of John, calls God the Father true, and this is one more case where Jesus is identified with the Father. John 3:33. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. God is real. He's true. John 8, I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me, the Father, the one who sent me is true. So, once again, John identifies Jesus in chapter 7, verse 18, where he calls Jesus as true, is real. He's real just like the Father's real. So, the Father does miracles, Jesus does miracles. The Father judges, Jesus judges. The Father resurrects and gives life, so does Jesus. The Father has a will. Jesus copies that will. He imita- He does that will. And here, God the Father is true and real. John says that Jesus, John quotes Jesus as saying that Jesus is true and real. So the book of John clearly identifies Jesus as God. If you ever want to know where to go, John 5 is the best place. This, but this is another example here in John 7. Now, by the way, in verse 18 Jesus is implicitly rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rules of the Sanhedrin when he says, the one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory. The implied charge is that you guys are speaking for yourself, and you don't seek the glory of God the Father. Let's read John 5:41 through 44. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive. In other words, you love people who come in their own name as rabbinic authorities. You love that honor. How can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God alone? So the Jews loved honor, and Jesus has already nailed them a year and a half earlier in John 5 at that feast, and now he's he's implying that, hey, you guys are seeking glory for yourself, but I'm, I'm seeking God's glory. Verse, and would that certain, shall we say, ministers of the gospel, I use that word lightly, who are on TV and seeking a lot of glory for themselves, would that they not do that. Verse 19, chapter 7. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you want to kill me? Now, what Jesus is doing is referring to the Jews' earliest statement about Jesus not being taught. How can he know the scriptures since he's never been taught? And so now Jesus is saying, look, you've got a teacher. His name is Moses, but you don't pay any attention to him. So what good does it do to start claiming rabbinic authority? What does it matter if you're trying to kill me? Because obviously killing somebody is opposed to the law, is unlawful. None of you keeps the law. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're even a murderer. You're trying to kill me. So you're really worried about my rabbinic authority you got Moses for your authority. You don't pay me any attention. So why do you care who my authority is? Jesus is pointing out their arrant hypocrisy. Jews were so proud of the law. Romans 2.17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rest in the law, yes, the Jews love to rest in the law. That was Paul pointing that out. He, he should know he used to be one of them. Resting in the law. They rest in the law, but none of them keep the law. Jesus is probably referring to, to the controversy he had with the Jewish leaders about a year and a half ago at that unnamed festival in John 5, when he healed the paralytic on the Sabbath, and he did it on the Sabbath, and they, so they started accusing him of breaking the law on the Sabbath. And then it says they actually tried to kill him, John 5, verse 16. The Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, John 5:18, This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. So Jesus knew that the Jews were trying to kill him, and he knew what occasioned his alleged Sabbath breaking. And yet, despite Jesus being accused of Sabbath breaking, it's really the Jewish leaders who are breaking the law, because they're trying to kill him, and murder, of course, is a violation of the law. Let's go now to verse 20, in John 7. You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who wants to kill you? So apparently the crowd, the pilgrim crowd that had flooded into Jerusalem, was... Unaware of that the Pharisees indeed and the Sadducees were indeed trying to kill Jesus, as we just read in verse chapter 5. Yeah, they were trying to kill Jesus, and Jesus knew they were trying to kill him, but the crowd didn't know. This shows that the Jewish leaders were probably very, very crafty about their opposition to Jesus and their nefarious plots to kill him. The crowd didn't know, but I think that the crowd responded pretty harshly by saying you have a demon you have a demon just because you're saying that the pharisees are trying to kill you obviously these people in the crowd had such respect for the great jewish leaders that they couldn't imagine that those leaders would do something like murder a rabbi oh no that would never happen they didn't know who was leading them and so they said jesus had a demon well this is not the only time jesus was accused of having a demon in john 8:48. The Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Well, no, they were wrong. He, did, he wasn't a Samaritan. He didn't have a demon, but they thought he did. John 10, 20, many of them were saying he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? So he's accused of being crazy, preached of having a demon, being a Samaritan. I don't know whether that was considered even worse than being crazy or being a demoniac. They never called him the devil directly, but they came pretty close and in fact they another time they said he was in league with the devil Matthew 12:24 when the Pharisees heard this they said the man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons he's in league with the devil so Jesus once again is lied about slandered now John Gill and Adam Clark say that the pilgrims were confused because they couldn't figure out why anyone would want to kill a man who was doing so much good and that's why they were shocked that when he said that someone was that the Jewish leaders were trying to kill him. But my problem with that is, if well, if they thought he was doing so much good, why did he? Why did they say he had a demon? Why would they say, Jesus, you have a demon? I don't think that really makes sense. I just think they were shocked that their Jewish that Jesus would accuse their beloved leaders of of murder or, or attempted murder. John seven twenty one. I did one work and you are all amazed. Jesus answered. Now that one work is probably referring to the healing of the lame man at the Pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath, which is what I, I previously mentioned that. This is asserted by the NIV Study Bible, John Gill, Adam Clark, and Jameson Fawcett and Brown. Four authorities think that that's the work he's referring to. I think, I think they're right. Now, the discussion which comes up now on, on the Sabbath, on the Jews' attitude towards the Sabbath, probably confirms this idea that the one work that Jesus is talking about in verse 21 is this healing on the Sabbath day, because he immediately gets into Sabbath controversy. So we go to 22 through 24. Jesus continues, consider this, Moses has given you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? He's referring to that lame man year and a half earlier at that unnamed feast in John 5. Are you angry at me because I healed him? Stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. All right, first of all, verse 22, Moses has given you circumcision, that's in the law. Let me read you some places in the, in the Mosaic law that talk about circumcision. Exodus twelve forty four. but any slave a man has purchased may eat it, eat the Passover, after you have circumcised him. So you had to circumcise somebody before they ate the Passover. Exodus twelve forty-eight. If a foreigner resides with you and wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover, every male in his household must be circumcised, and then he may participate. Not only The foreigner not only had to circumcise himself, he had to circumcise all the males in his household before they could participate in the Passover. He will become like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat it. So the Passover was sort of fenced off uh, by requiring fenced off from uncircumcised people. Leviticus 12.3 The flesh of his foreskin must be circumcised on the eighth day. and That's the basic law right there. Every Jewish male, the eighth day circumcised. Now the Pharisees themselves, as the NIV study Bible points out, the Pharisees themselves said that the requirement to Circumcise on the eighth day overrode the commandment not to work on the Sabbath because sometimes the eighth day landed on Saturday. And then what do you do? Oh, if we circumcise, that's work. But on the other hand, the law says we're supposed to circumcise today on the eighth day. But the day's is the Sabbath. So do we violate the Sabbath or do we circumcise? Now, Adam Clark says that the Pharisees' ruling on this shows that works of necessity could be done on the Sabbath according to the Jewish law. Now, works of necessity, would that include healing? I would think so. I mean, if it's all right to circumcise on the Sabbath on the eighth day, if the eighth day was the Sabbath, certainly it's all right to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And so that was the thrust of Jesus' argument. Let me go back to read verse 23 here, or verse 22. Jesus tells the Jewish leaders, you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. That was their practice. The Jewish law said that the eighth day, he's got to be circumcised, even if it's on the Sabbath. So Jesus catches them up on that little inconsistency and says, look at here. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath, and you think that's all right. Verse 28, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, the law of Moses, is, which requires circumcision on the eighth day, we don't want to break that law of Moses, so we circumcise on the Sabbath. So you are receiving circumcision to keep the law of Moses from being broken by working on the Sabbath. Now, why are you angry at me? Because I heal completely, make a complete man well on the Sabbath. He's showing their total and utterly in. Uh, inconsistency, And then he says in verse 24, Stop judging according to outward appearances. In other words, to please the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Quit trying to, to do that. It's trying to to please each other, if you will, showing how godly you are and how righteous you are because you keep every jot and tittle of the law. Judge according to righteous judgment. Judge according to the spirit of the way the law was given by Moses. The law was supposed to love. It's not supposed to hinder and not supposed to put burdens on people that nobody can carry now verse 24 is a good antidote for christians it says we're not supposed to judge we're not supposed to judge oh really what does verse 24 say judge imperative command judge according to righteous judgment we're not supposed to judge according to outward appearances stop judging according to outward appearances which i take to mean is don't stop judging unrightly. Oh, the man stops by the lady's apartment every day and goes in every day. Oh, they're having an affair. It turns out the man is the woman's brother and he's the milkman and he's just going in to talk after he delivers something off and she's completely innocent. Well, that's judging. Judging wrongly. Judging without the facts. Judging from a standpoint of which you know nothing about. That's bad. But... In the next part of the verse, it says, judge according to righteous judgment. Sometimes you have to judge. How about church discipline? Aren't you judging whether the man's a sinner or not? I just recently, yesterday, saw the latest Todd Bentley scandal. Apparently, he's uh, having homosexual sex with his interns, with an open marriage. His wife consents to it. And everybody is all upset. And I was watching the videos, and they keep talking about well, love covers a multitude of sins. That's what people keep saying. But the problem is he's sinning. And, and they, we see, talk, keep talking about grace, 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 grace. But the problem is he's sinning. Well, grace doesn't mean you don't judge. You judge according to righteous judgment. You have to deal with sin. You have to judge. And this culture of ours, what planet fitness, the exercise place, the no judgment zone. Everything. Oh, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Hey, I don't think you ought to be murdering somebody. Don't judge me. I don't think you ought to be having sex with 10 boys every week. Uh, Don't judge me. I don't think you should be eating all that lard and fat and sugar because it might make you fat and give you diabetes and cause your health to fail. Don't judge me. Don't shame me. That's the way our culture is. But Jesus doesn't give a flying hoot about our culture. He says, judge according to righteous judgment. Now, one little detail, and we'll leave here. Verse 22 says this, Consider this, Moses has given you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And what he's referring to there is that circumcision was actually instituted before the law of Moses. Moses was around the 15th century B.C. Abraham was around the 20th century B.C., about four or five centuries earlier. But Abraham was the one who was told to be circumcised. Genesis 17, 9 through 11, which is way before the law. God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. So circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant came before the law of Moses. And Jesus just mentions that in passing. It's not extremely important in interpreting the verse but it's just a detail we now go to john 7 verses 25 through 26 some of the people of jerusalem are saying isn't this the man they want to kill yet look he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him can it be true that the authorities know he is the messiah now this presents an interesting problem because we just saw that some of the crowd says who wants to kill you but now in verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, "Isn't the man? Isn't this the man they want to kill?" So some people knew that the Pharisees were trying to kill people, but the, but some people didn't. The answer to this, according to the NIV Study Bible, is that the people of Jerusalem, the people who lived there in Jerusalem, they were more familiar with what the Jewish leaders were trying to do. The pilgrims who had come in from all from Galilee and all other parts of Israel, they weren't aware of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to do, and so they were the ones that said. It was the pilgrims who said, you have a demon who's trying to kill you. But now the people of Jerusalem here in verse 25, they confess about Jesus. Isn't the man that they, the leaders, want to kill? So that explains that apparent discrepancy. Verse 26, yet look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? Ha, ha, The Authorities show some indecision. They're scared to arrest Jesus with all the people there, all the crowds. It might be an uproar, it might be a riot, and the Romans might get mad. And so by letting Jesus to continue to teach, it creates doubt in the minds of the inhabitants of Jerusalem the year-round inhabitants of Jerusalem, they're with, well, if they're not saying anything against him, maybe he is the Messiah. Can it be true? Maybe they know he is the Messiah. Ooh. So once again, we see the indecision on the part of the crowd. People can't decide ye or nay about Jesus's messianic claims. Now, the crowd couldn't figure out why the Jewish authorities were letting Jesus continue to speak. They couldn't figure it out. But there was a reason why they weren't those Jewish leaders weren't completely dumb. The reason why is they were afraid of a huge riot if they'd arrested Jesus because there were a lot of people in the crowd that liked Jesus, and that of course would draw the Romans' nasty attention to the Jewish leaders. so if the crowd if the people in, in Jerusalem had thought about it a little bit, maybe they just couldn't see that far ahead, they, they might have been thinking, they should have been able, they might should have been able to figure out why the Jewish leaders were not arresting Jesus for pragmatic expedience. Reasons of expedience rather than for actually believing that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 27. But we but we know where this man is from. Say the people of Jerusalem. We know where this man is from. What they're thinking is they know he's from Nazareth. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he's from. All right. The but here is, well, the Jewish leaders might be thinking he's the Messiah. But we, the people of Jerusalem, we know he's not the Messiah. That's what the but is. The Jew, The Jewish leaders might be wavering, but we, on the other hand the Jewish leader population of Jerusalem. But we, on the other hand, are not wavering. We know he's not Messiah, the Messiah. Why? Because people are not supposed to know where the Messiah comes from. But we know he's from Nazareth. We know where he's from. Now, there's an interesting background note to make here. There was a split of opinion among the Jews on where the Messiah was to come from, according to the NIV study Bible. Some people fought... That the Old Testament gave no indication where the Messiah was from. The NIV Study Bible says this. Adam Clark points that out. But some people thought the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, as the NIV Study Bible points out. All right, why would some people think the Messiah comes from Bethlehem? Well, that's the Scripture. Well, let me give you uh, John 7:42 in this chapter. Doesn't the Scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem, where David once lived? That's what the people were thinking. They were thinking the Messiah came from Bethlehem. Why? Because of the prophecy in Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem a Prathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler of Israel. You recall when Herod the Great asked the rabbis where the Messiah came from? They said Bethlehem, Matthew 2, 4 through 6. So he, Herod the Great, assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, that's the prophet Micah, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. And then they quote the prophet Micah, verse chapter 5, verse 2, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. So it seems to me that people would know that the Messiah came out of Bethlehem, but some people didn't, and apparently these people right here thought that the Messiah was comes from place unknown. Well, whatever position you took about that issue, people would not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. If you believe that the Messiah was to come out of Bethlehem, well, the people thought that he came from Nazareth. And also the people thought he was going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14, the famous virgin prophecy, and Jesus was born of an ordinary woman, Mary, in Nazareth. That's what everybody thought. They thought wrongly, but that's what they thought. So on that wrong supposition, if The the part of the crowd that believed that the Messiah came from Bethlehem because of their understanding of that prophecy and their misunderstanding of where Jesus was from and their lack of knowledge that he was born in Bethlehem, those people didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. On the other hand, there were some people in the crowd that thought that nobody knows where the Messiah comes from. I don't know why they would think that given Micah 5 2, but I guess they interpreted Micah 5 2 differently. But those people said, We don't know where the Messiah's come from. The, 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 nobody knows where the Messiah's coming from, but we know that Jesus is from Nazareth, so he can't be the Messiah. So, on either supposition, the crowd did not know, uh, the crowd did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, favoring the view that. The Messiah's providence is unknown. His origin is unknown. The rabbis had a proverb. They said that there were three things that came unexpectedly. One, a thing found by chance. Two, the sting of a scorpion. Three, the Messiah. He comes suddenly, unexpectedly, and we don't know where he comes from. But at any rate, that's a whole lot of discussion about the main fact, which is, is that the people didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the people in Jerusalem. Probably the only people who thought he was the Messiah was probably a small portion of that crowd that knew Jesus. And isn't it always true the believers are a remnant? That's always bothered me. I wish we'd be a majority sometimes, but we rarely are. Go to John 7 verses 28 and 29. We'll finish this up. As he was teaching in the temple complex, Jesus cried out, you know me and you know where I am from. He's referring to the fact that the crowd is saying he's from Nazareth. Therefore, he can't be the Messiah. So Jesus said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know me and you know where I'm from. Yet I have not come on my own. But the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. In other words, you worried about where I'm from. Let me tell you where I'm from. I'm from heaven. I'm from God the Father, the one who sent me to you. you worried about my hometown. Well, let me tell you what my hometown is. My hometown is in heaven. (laughs) It's heaven. Jesus says in verse verse 28, I have not come on my own. Once again, he ties himself to the will of the Father. Once again, he mentions his dependence on the Father. As I said in John 5, God wills something, Jesus wills it. God gives life and resurrects, Jesus gives life and resurrects. God does miracles, Jesus does miracles. God judges, Jesus judges. On and on and on, God the Father and God the Son are one. One in nature, one in will. John 4.34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. So, if you want to believe that Jesus is God, read the book of John. I think that's why it's so often advised that young Christians or people who are seeking to know who Jesus is, you start with the book of John, (laughs) because the book of John tells you that Jesus is God. Now, when Jesus tells the people, I am the one who sent me is true and I didn't come on my own, You don't know him. You don't know God the Father. I know God the Father. I am from God the Father, and he sent me. He's not just saying this. He is shouting this out because it says Jesus cried out in verse 28 in a loud voice so everyone could hear. All right, we're going to stop it right here. The crowd, I will give you a sneak preview of the next audio. In verse 30, they tried to seize him, tried to arrest him when he started talking about his identity with the Father once more. But they didn't get him because his hour had not yet come. We'll take that up and finish up the whole rest of John 7 in the next audio. I hope you listened to that one and I hope you enjoyed this one.